Welcome to the Yoga Health Coaching Podcast, a global collaborative conversation about our collective evolution. We're into the habits for you and the rest of humanity to thrive. You'll hear what's working and what's not on our journeys as coaches, guiding peeps into the habits of thrive. Based on Ayurveda, based on the wisdom of yogis and yoginis intertwined with the reality of modern life. Hello, everyone. It's Kate Stillman with the Yoga Health Coaching Podcast, and I have the pleasure of being here with Anissa Hudak, who is a yoga therapist and the founder of Trauma Healing Yoga Therapy Program. She's worked with women who have been sexually traumatized and help them navigate and heal their PTSD. So this is going to be an interesting conversation. I mean, you come as a survivor and into the field of helping others go from PTSD into processing, into healing, and into what we would call thriving, right? Like the, the bridge to their healing journey. So I, I'd like to just talk a little bit, you know, from the wellness pro perspective, from wellness professionals, and they might be body workers or yoga teachers or uh, personal trainers or nurses or, uh, and I know there's like so many, there's so many different levels of what, of what people do. And some people have like no training in PTSD, right? Like when I went through two years of Ayurveda training as a practitioner and five years of yoga training, like PTSD wasn't directly addressed. And so I know that from, you know, from that perspective, starting to see clients with PTSD and not really, you know, like now fast forward 15 years of having seen a lot, um, just from, <laughs> just from working with a lot of people, like, you know, you start to pick up on like, oh, this is, this is a thing in this person, like this is, you know, in my scope of practice or not in my scope of practice, et cetera. So I would just like, just in, in general for wellness pros that don't have training with PTSD, what are some of the things that you would like them to know? Definitely get trained. Don't try to take on something that is not your scope of practice. So even in terms of like how to identify, because I think that's maybe part of it, right? And trying to identify PTSD is really hard because there's so many symptoms mm. and the way it gets diagnosed is because of the symptoms. You know, there's a catalyst that happens within the body that creates the PTSD. That's not something we can normally see. It mm. is the symptoms that we're dealing with that, you know, transpire afterwards. And so somebody could have just generalized depression and, and or they could have it due to PTSD. And so there's, there's a lot of different levels. And so get trained is the best thing you can do. And what kind of training? I was really lucky. I fell into my training. Um, I didn't specifically go out and look for it. I was going through a company called Yoga Fit. Mm -hmm. They have great education. And um, I had gotten the bug. I, I, Quite frankly, I never wanted to teach yoga. That was never my intention. I just didn't want to go to somebody else's class and be on somebody's schedule. <laughs> and so I wanted to learn yoga so I would keep myself safe. Okay. So for, it was you for you, for your own healing practice and self you know, self-maintenance. And it wasn't even about, yeah, it was self-maintenance. It wasn't even yeah. about my PTSD at that point. Okay. Did you know you had PTSD at that point when you started practicing yoga? Did I know? Uh, to a certain extent, yes. I had already had my first rape. I had had several other experiences that left me um, with PTSD, but I thought I had a good handle on it. And so I was like, you know, all right, we're good. And then I got into my very first 
class, um, Yoga Fit has a series called the Warrior Series, and it's based on military with PTSD. And I was in the middle of my very first class, very first day, and I said, oh, crap. Yeah, the first person I need to start working on is me before I can help anybody else. And how did you become aware of that in that training? We were going over symptoms. We were going okay. over things, triggers in the body, things that you were feeling in your body that PT, folks with PTSD would be feeling. And I was like, oh, crap. Yeah, give us some examples. I'd love to. <sighs> the quickness of the breath, the tightening of the chest, the sweaty palms, the feeling in the stomach. Um, I mean, those are just some of the things. And then there's other things. And is like, that just in general? Like they're going over the symptoms and you're like, check, check. Check, check. In terms of like, I have this happens to me every day, or when I'm in a certain situation, or okay. when you I'm, know, yeah, triggered in in situations that are common enough that it's not like because I mean anyone could go through that list and be like, yeah, before I got on stage, <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> My yeah. heart was beating and I was sweating. <laughs> no, I'm talking about you know I'm leaving um, a meeting sometime late at night and I'm walking to my car. Uh, okay. Okay. So it's like, yeah. So triggered environments. So you started to identify that you're still triggered by certain environments that other people aren't triggered by. And is that part of it? Is you just think everyone's triggered by these environments and you don't even, or I'm just. I didn't think it. I thought everybody felt the same way. I didn't think that, you know, it was strange that when I get to my car late at night, I'm looking underneath it. I'm looking in the back seat. I'm before I even get into the car, I'm looking all around me. I'm parking under lights. I'm doing certain things. I didn't realize that all of these kind of mechanisms were me trying to control a situation that I really don't have control over. Right. And so you're in this training and they're going through like, this is what this looks like. And you're checking boxes saying, oh, wow. Was that, was that pretty intense for you to have that wake? I mean, it seems like a bit of a wake up call of like, okay, but it also seems a little bit exciting too, right? Like, oh, I could get, I could get help. Like there's a malleability to this. Um, I wasn't feeling that quite at that moment. Yeah. Uh, it was more raw. like, oh crap, what's going on? And um, it wasn't until I got further into the training and the education that I was like, oh, wait a minute. I, I don't have to feel this way. Okay. Okay. Oh. And so what with I people. realized with yeah. that education became knowledge and it became powerful because I could choose how I wanted to respond. I could say, okay, I'm starting to feel this way. Do I need to? Am I safe? I am safe. I don't have to feel this way. I don't have to react this way. I don't have to respond this way. And it became very empowering. Mm -hmm. It sounds so much like mindfulness practice where you're aware of what you're feeling. You're aware of what you're hearing inside your own mind and outside you're aware of what you're seeing both in yourself and around you and you're able to get perspective. So t- in the, in the trauma healing yoga therapy program, how, how t- tell us a little bit about the structure. Well, obviously there's time on the mat and that's the most important time. Um, or at least I think it is. And that's where we're really working with folks and um, the catalyst that creates PTSD in the body, we are helping to reverse that. We are helping to reset the central nervous system. And so the time on the mat is really important. There's um, a really scientific way that we do this. 
Oh, it great. is Love not here. It, yeah. It's not just, you know, we're going to do sun salutations. In fact, I don't do sun salutations in my classes. Uh-huh. And I know that sounds like sacrilege, <laughs> but it, it's not necessary. We sure. can, but it's not necessary right. to do what we need to do. Yeah. So how much are you just working directly with the breath body and, and really helping the person find the shift between fight and flight versus rest and digest? It is all about the psoas. Okay. That's what I focus on is psoas. Okay. And so, yes, you're going to get a full body workout, but we are really working on a lot of hip openers. We want to exhaust the psoas trail. You know, the psoas is the deepest muscle in the body. It takes Mm -hmm. a while to get into it. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, and that's the thing, right? If you've got beginners coming in, like, where's my psoas? (laughs) Exactly. It's like, what's people have been in yoga teacher training and they're 500 hour at that point, that's all they can talk about is their psoas. But for someone that's new, my what? My what? And I said, like your hip flexor. Oh yeah, I've got that. Yes, you do. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not going to like me tomorrow because you're probably not going to be able to sit on your toilet, but we need to do this in order to get the crap literally out of you. We want to get the psoas to a point where it's absolutely exhausted and they're starting to feel quivering in their thighs. You know, sometimes people feel it, sometimes they don't, and that's totally okay. They don't mm-hmm. necessarily have to feel the shake in order for it to really be happening. Okay. But we're, we're totally about the hip opener and the psoas. That's what my class really revolves around. Yes, we do breath work, but my class is very different. Lights are always on. I never leave my mat. I do not barely ever adjust anyone. Uh-huh. If I have to leave my mat, I have to announce it so everyone knows where I'm going and what I'm doing. Yeah. I, you know, there's no straps. I talk the entire time. It's kind of like the Anissa stand-up routine. Mm-hmm. I'm keeping their minds occupied because my job is to get the baggage out of their body. It mm-hmm. is not to do talk therapy. Mm-hmm. I am not a talk therapist. Mm-hmm. I can sit and listen to someone and I'm happy to do that, but that is not my scope of practice. Yeah. So walk okay. us through some of the warm-ups of how you're getting people into, into their hip flexors or where you're starting, what you're doing. Um, oh my gosh, that's a great question. It really depends because I have, sometimes I have folks coming in with injuries. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, and so in the first 90 seconds, I have to assess the class and figure out, okay, who, you know, who's my audience? When I was working with the military, I had amputees, I had folks in wheelchairs, I had folks, you know, actually tied up to IVs because they were cancer patients. So mm-hmm. it was... It, it varies. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, I do a, a variation of sun salutations. We do mostly everything kneeling. I try to get most people to the ground as quickly as possible, mm-hmm. unless they have depression. Mm-hmm. If they have depression, I try to ha- keep them standing as long as possible. Mm-hmm. So will you often be teaching a few different things in the same classroom? Just Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it depends on, again, people's needs. Yeah. So how are you helping beginners come in and become, become aware of their psoas or become, you know, or doing, doing things that, as you said, like exhaust the psoas? I talk to them about it. I explain it. I explain Mm -hmm. the process. And so, you know, what I found for me was the education was really the crux of, of my healing. Yeah. I educate them. And there's folks who've been in my class for so long that I'll say, and she actually recites it because she knows it so well. 
Mm-hmm. And so it's not even just hearing it from me, it's actually hearing it from their classmates. Yeah, yeah. And that gets everybody involved. Yeah. So it's interactive and it's yeah. not just listening to my voice for an hour. Right, right. Yeah, and developing that, that collective intelligence and communication. So in terms of, yeah, so just walk us through it. Like how do you, how, in terms of the languaging that you're using, I'd love to hear. Come join me. When you're ready, meet me here. Um, everything is literally uh, an invitation. Mm-hmm. I don't cue as, okay, down dog, plank. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like that. It is invitational. Some people like to linger. And that's good because that means they're feeling something in their body. We have yeah. connected the brain and the body. They're feeling their body and they like what they're feeling. This is key. With PTSD, we know that the brain becomes offline and it's not talking to the body. If we can Mm -hmm. establish that contact Mm -hmm. and that communication, my job is almost complete. And so if somebody wants to linger in a pose, I to say that they have to move. But also too, in a PTSD situation, their power was taken away from them. Yeah. I'm offering them their power back. Yeah. I've I've talked to a number of people who have been working in... uh, in prisons with, with yoga and, and everyone says the same thing, like no commands, like never, never saying things in a, in a way that makes it feel like it's not a choice to do something and how empowering that just that is just that pivot and how many yoga teachers who are being trained, not for a PTSD population, right. Who are being trained for, uh, although some, some, some uh, yoga therapists I've talked to say that like everyone has PTSD. So I, there's an also opportunity All for that. All of us do. Conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Do, yeah. Do you want to say more to that? There's no way we could be living this human experience that we're living in this day and age without all of us having some sort of PTSD. And there's why? There's no way. Why? Things are too intense. What things? Life in general. So like the idea that people don't have enough time to find their own rhythm or... Or- That's part of it. Things that we're seeing, things we're experiencing. I mean, even just watching TVs and movies. If you yeah. look at 20 years ago and what we're watching now, we've yeah. been so desensitized. Uh-huh. And yet when people see things in real life and yeah. they're seeing the same things, it's horrifying. Yeah. It's not on a screen. Mm-hmm. So do you argue that kind of for all past generations too? Because I mean, it seems like violence is nothing new. <laughs> Right. I mean, now it's more, we're seeing images on screens of it, but before it was more in people's daily, daily life, whether it was growing up on a farm, violence to animals or growing up as part of an abusive family or household or. Absolutely. I mean, I grew up uh, in an alcoholic family. I saw it every day. I thought everybody's family was like that. I Mm -hmm. didn't know that it was anything different. My dad was a Vietnam vet Mm -hmm. and that's why he was an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just in the last, I would say five years that he's actually been able to get services through the VA and actually lay down some of that baggage. Mm-hmm. And so we've got past generations of, you know, folks that are, are dealing with stuff that they don't have to, but nobody knew how to deal with it. Sure. In terms of PTSD and trauma and for wellness pros that now know that everybody has PTSD, that everybody's walking in with it and they might be able, just from what we've talked about so far, be able to revise some of their language so it seems like there's always a choice or so that they're always giving someone a choice, not that it seems that way. What else? Like what other recommendations do you have? We are, you know, as as yoga professionals, we know that yoga is about releasing. 
And folks might have an emotional release on the mat. You may not understand it, but you need to get right with you as about, you know, how are you going to handle when someone has that emotional release on their mat? How are you, you know, certain safety protocols, if someone is triggered on your mat, how do you keep them safe and safe protocols in place? And this is really, you know, important. Um, if someone starts bawling on their mat, how do you handle that? You know, what do you do? Do you hand them a tissue? Do you pass the box to them and allow them to take a tissue? There's a huge difference there. Mm. Yeah. So walk us through some of the things that you do. I think that'll be really most helpful. So if somebody starts crying, I pass the tissue box to them. I do not hand them a tissue. When you're handing someone a tissue, you are taking care of them, which is a lovely thing. It's an absolutely lovely thing. But there's also something very empowering for someone to ask for help and to take their own tissue. Okay. And I know it sounds really simple and you know, minute, but it's actually really powerful for them. And so providing them a box of tissues. Mm -hmm. I always have a box of tissues in my classroom, by the way, because you never know who's yep. going to spring a leak. <laughs> yeah. When somebody starts crying, we cheer. All mm -hmm. of us. We absolutely cheer it on. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and what does that all, sound like or look like? Like people clapping or? Clapping. Girl, cry it out. Get it all out of you. You're going to be so much better off. You're going to feel better off. You know, cry, 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 cry. We cheer. We clap. Uh, smack her on the back, you know. Um, sometimes hug if they're ready for it and they want to be hugged. Mm -hmm. And they put their arms out to be hugged. Mm -hmm. um, never force it on anyone. But again, giving them that option to ask for it as opposed to giving it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just next time they come into class, hey, you felt better, huh? And everybody acknowledges it and then we move on. Mm -hmm. So creating a culture around this is a very positive experience and yeah. Because and so, it is. Of course. So in... In terms of, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm hearing, but I just wanted to clarify, um, is really not touching the person unless they're inviting touch, unless they're yes. wanting that. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. And of course, you know, we're always taught you ask permission. Yes. And, you know, that is really held true in, in this culture and yeah. um, to a point where they actually have to reach out for it. Yeah. Um, because again, it's empowering for them. Yeah. Yeah. So in your trauma healing yoga therapy program, it's mostly, it, you're mostly attracting women who have been sexually traumatized. Sometimes, yes. Um, sometimes I have folks who are actually just rehabbing an ACL and they want a, a really nice gentle class or they feel mm. it's a gentle class. And, mm -hmm. you know, we work with that. But for the most part, what fills my well Mm -hmm. is really working with women who are like me. I'm a two-time rape survivor. And watching a woman have an experience on a mat within an hour is just miraculous mm -hmm. and kind of better than the money I get paid, you know? Yeah, of course. So in terms of how, how long do you find it takes for people to shift their pattern with PTSD that are in your yoga therapy program? That... It's a really hard question to answer because 
how deep roots, you know, deeply rooted is this PTSD? Is it a lifelong? Did it just yeah. happen? What was the experience? Right. How many times did they experience it? Um, and every person's trauma is so individual. I yeah. have had folks that worked with me for three months and they were like, I'm done. Yeah. That's cool. You know where I'm at yeah. if you need me again. Right. I've had folks that are with me three years, five years, and you know, there's right. nothing wrong with that. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, especially with how much of this is ancestral, like <laughs> it's giving many generations of healing. Yeah. So for if, so when people are on, you know, when they come in and they're on the mat and they're experiencing releases, like, and they're starting to connect triggers in their everyday life, right? Because that's a huge part of it, right? Is starting to notice things, starting to notice when they're triggered, how they feel, what they see, what they hear, right? Like what, what's going on and, and to be able to make choices in those moments, right? To make choices to, to see the response and to change how they are responding on a, on a visceral level, on a breathing level, on a, is my psoas tightened level? <laughs> Am I, can I feel the ground still level, mm -hmm. right? Um, what are, I mean, I'm curious about that and just how much that is part of uh, just the dialogue in the classroom, right? Because you're teaching them on the mat primarily. So how much your help, like how are you weaving in how to start to notice the things that are happening off the mat in terms of PTSD triggers? So when I'm talking about um, breathing techniques, you know, um, I differentiate the, the breathing techniques. So we're doing this, you know, breathing technique. So that way we are increasing our energy flow. I'm feeling like everybody's a little sluggish today. So we're mm -hmm. going to, you know, we're going to use um, Ujjayi breath to warm things up. If you find that, you know, you're getting up in the morning and you're really sluggish and you need some, some get up and go, you can use this to help you. Yeah. And then I have, you know, people the following week, three weeks later, whatever, say, you know, I was like really sluggish and I tried that and it worked. Mm. Lo and behold. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's by planting those little n educational seeds. Yeah. Yeah. It works wonders. Yeah. Yeah. And again, so it comes all back down to the education. And do most people have, um, in terms of triggers, like, is there a lot of overlap with triggers people have uh, with, with sexual trauma or totally different things trigger people? Totally different things can trigger people. And so giving them the language around it, helping them start to notice. And then are, you, are, you, are they talking about that in class then? Are you asking them if they're noticing what, what, what triggers them and how to respond? Um, I talk about it in a very generalized way. I usually mm -hmm. use myself as an example. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, you know, this is a me thing. This is mm -hmm. what triggers me. This is mm -hmm. what I do in that situation. Mm -hmm. And that way they can take from it what they need. Yeah. And sometimes they'll ask questions, you know, well, what if this happens? You mm -hmm. know, they won't say this happens to me. Right. They'll say, well, what if this happens? Oh, well, then in that scenario, you would do X, Y, Z. Yeah. And so that's kind of how they get their questions answered. Mm -hmm. So there's not a desire to own the experience. <laughs> there's not a, it's just a and hypothetical. That's okay. But again, yeah, sure. that's not my scope of practice. I would practice. imagine it's a stage too. It is, but it's also not my scope of practice. Yeah. So who do you refer out to? You know, this is complementary type of, of uh, what we do. This is not going to cure anyone. Mm-hmm. And I, I would be remiss in saying it would. I am a firm believer in meds. 
I am a firm believer in talk therapy. Um, obviously, that's what the Western world, you know, has programmed us to think. Yeah. Um, it is what I personally do. Yeah. Um, I have been on meds for over 10 years. Happy to say it. Mm -hmm. um, I see a, tr a therapist uh, who specializes in sexual trauma. I actually drive two hours one way just to see him. Mm-hmm. There are people in my town that I can refer to. Um, mm -hmm. I also obviously have my own therapist that I will refer to for sexual trauma. Mm -hmm. Some people like to talk to women. Some people yep. like to talk to men. Um, this is my first male therapist. And I have probably done more work and had more progress with him than any of the other women I've spoken with. Mm. Great. But, so it's really about finding the person that's right, that's meeting you right where you're at right now. Exactly. And, and I tell them that. I said, you know, you're interviewing them. Yeah. You don't have to stay with them. Right. If it's not a good fit. Right. Yeah. You yeah. know, and giving them that option and that power to yeah. make that decision on their own. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I, yeah, I mean, and just the importance of having a strong referral network, especially the more that it's going to come up in our in our practice or in our classes and the more we're attract, you know, knowing that people have PTSD and, and directly addressing that. It's important to have <laughs> the reference and, network, the mesh. And all, exactly. And, you know, certain therapists have certain expertise and specialties mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. knowing, I think, you know, in your neighborhood, who mm -hmm. does what, yeah. so you can refer people. You want to see so-and-so because they really specialize in this. Yeah is yep. a great way to be able to give them the best out of the starting gate. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, I just want to refer people back to your website, traumahealingyoga.com. Um, any closing thoughts on the conversation for wellness pros working with PTSD? Get educated, get educated. Um, I would say my favorite book is uh, the body keeps a score by Bessel van der Kolk. Mm -hmm. If you right, haven't we'll had put a chance, that in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. If you haven't had a chance to read that, I love that book. Also, anything by Levine, Robert Levine. Robert Levine. Okay. He is a master. Great. And um, I would say that, you know, those are great places to start your education. Get into some sort of a trauma class, PTSD type of class. Mm -hmm. Just so you, you know, even if you're a fitness based yoga instructor. Mm -hmm. Just so you have some basic knowledge yeah. in case something That's does great come up idea. on your mat. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Anissa. Really a pleasure to have you download your life experience and wisdom into the yoga health coaching community. We like to bring experts in to, you know, really highlight different, different reoccurring topics that, you know, that not going away. So I'm sure this will be a great resource for us to use over time. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, it's Kate Stillman, founder of Yoga Healer and Yoga Health Coaching. And when I look back at the last 18 years of being a wellness entrepreneur, what I can see is that there were certain conversations that made the biggest difference in my ability to rethink my future, to reconnect with the threads of Dharma that could be fostered into much greater things. And to really shape my thoughts and ideas. So conversations are really what influence us to take different actions, whether these conversations happen in, in our own head, in what we're telling ourselves, uh, or whether these conversations happen with other people who we 
allow and invite to deeply influence us uh, so that we can evolve more quickly. Because conversations are such an important part of the evolution of a wellness professional into higher levels of abundance and impact, at Yoga Health Coaching, we take them very seriously and we offer them for free. So you can go to yogahealthcoaching.com forward slash conversation, C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N. That's yogahealthcoaching.com forward slash conversation. And you can get right on our schedule with a yoga healer coach to have a very deep conversation about the vision of your wellness career. This is something we offer for free because we believe so strongly in helping wellness pros help others thrive. We have a ton of free resources and trainings. And what we can do is after a conversation like that, we can point you exactly to the resources that we have that will help you get to where you want to go the most to help you become who you want to become next in your wellness career. So again, that's yogahealthcoaching.com forward slash conversation. And if we have a way to help you, we'll tell you during those conversations what exactly that is. Awesome. Go ahead and click on that link and schedule and enjoy having someone deeply listen and deeply hear you, help you see your own vision more clearly and give that experience where you actually shift your thinking so that new thoughts and ideas that are more in line with your dharma, with your potential come present now. All right. Yogahealthcoaching.com forward slash conversation.